0: If you've never had a character die in a horrible and embarrassing manner, then you're playing it. Welcome to Playing It Wrong. Podcasts about RPGs, fun, food, more RPGs. Grab your sit back, and get ready to play it wrong. Good day and welcome to episode 18, season 4, Playing It Wrong, the podcast where I talk about all sorts of shit. And it's, well, it's Memorial Day as I'm recording this, so instead of the usual Sunday, it's a Monday. And it's a Goomy Bear type of day. But anyway, excuse me, time to get on with the show. So yes, it's been a long weekend, but I've got a couple of things that's been stuck in my brain. Let's see, first and foremost, Patreon has decided that they need to start collecting sales tax for various uh, jurisdictions around the country and the world, which goes by where the patron is, not where the creator is. And now I'm kind of forced to figure out, so what exactly is the taxable portion of what I'm doing? And it's just a silly pain in the ass, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. I mean, my whole idea with Patreon is more of a tip jar, so I guess I'm going to convert it more into that, and maybe add a couple more options like Kofi or Buy Me A Coffee, and see what happens. Um, but yeah, and also looking at the things I'm backing, it's like, do I want to get charged an extra percentage on that because somebody says i need to pay extra for it i don't know i like the creators but it's yeah anyway i still have to decide on that probably do, do that up next week or at least start putting things together since the end of the month roll things out at the beginning of next month so. all right so what are we gonna oh this episode this episode is brought to you by initiative that's not brought to you by initiative, it's about initiative. That's what I want to talk about. So as its most basic initiative is who gets to go first and who, well, basically dies first a lot of times. In the old school games, it was kind of annoying. I never really liked it. We changed it really early where you had that phase of melee magic missiles move. I know I got that order wrong. <clears throat> but that, we stopped kind of doing that early on because it got a little cumbersome and I still think it's a bit cumbersome. <clears throat> And then, of course, you've got the uh, sides versus individual initiative. Sides eh, works, but, of course, there's always one person who's like, but my character should go first. But let's, I mean, in its most basic, yes, I said, initiative is who gets to go first. That's from the player's perspective. From the GM, it's all about keeping things organized at the table when things get their most disorganized, which is like during combat. And, of course, I should say this now, that if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you know exactly what Initiative is. So that's why I'm going to talk a lot about some more, well, somewhat obscure games or games that a lot of people may not know very well. Talk about their Initiative systems that I think are kind of neat, and then wrap that up with my own house rules that I stole from somebody else. So the first game I want to talk about for Initiative that I thought was interesting, you probably haven't heard of. It's called Twerps, the world's easiest role-playing system. I believe it was originally by a company called Reindeer Games. I've got copies somewhere in a box. They're like pamphlet-sized RPGs. You've got one stat. Um, I should say, I think Game Science has a license for them now, for Quirps now or something. It's got, it went up in that weird licensing limbo for a long time. But it's a very simple, easy game. It's called, that's why it's called the world's easiest role-playing system. But what was interesting about its initiative system is that while it was an individual initiative system, it was phased into movement and action. Movement was first. But, the the lower initiatives moved first. That means, basically, if you lost, you moved first. And then, after movement, we went through attack phase, which was the winners go first. So, if you lose initiative, you move first and attack last, if you're still around. So, it affects the tactics of the player characters, depending on, well... Yeah, they can react to a slower character's movement and move accordingly. So that, that that was an interesting one. We played that a very little bit back in the day. Like I said, I've got them somewhere. I, I need to find them, but they're so tiny, golly knows. I, I'll find it. Go look that, just look it up online. Torps, the world's the easiest role-playing system. It was pretty cool. The next one I want to talk about is the hero system. Another one that I played a lot back in the day and haven't played for years. But it had a very set initiative system where you had phases during the term. You had an attribute called speed, which determined which phases you went. And you just went from highest to lowest decks. It was very orderly. It was almost Robert's Rules of Procedures. It was very orderly. There really was never any random element to it, which is also kind of a... You know, it's fun to have that little surprise now and then of that random element of, oh, no, now this guy gets to go first. But it was very orderly. And the player characters had to pay attention, which goes me into my second game, or third game, I can't count, third game I want to talk about, which is Shadowrun. I don't remember what edition. I think it was third. FASA's third. I think there are multiple editions because I think they started re. I think they start counting editions over each time they change publishers. I don't know. But <clears throat> it was still the old FASA version. Where, yes, you had individual initiatives. You rolled a total, and then you went, like, every 10 on the countdown. Now, I like that back in the day. Because as a GM, I would start with just the highest number, that person would go first, and I would just count down, and players would have to pay freaking attention, or they'd miss their turn. I've seen so many DMs, especially like in D&D, write down everybody's individual initiative and the monster's initiative, and like, okay, go, go. Uh, okay, oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong wrong thing on my scratch paper, okay, now, or get lost. And I'm talking too fast. I'm out of practice. Hey, listen, I stayed up really late last night streaming MST3K, which I realized is, wow, that's pretty much how I run games. Anyway, <clears throat> so we got Torps, we got Shadowrun, we got Hero. Now, each, each one of those games takes a slightly different take on initiative and how it affects play. Torps of the move first, attack last hero has the very strict set, this is when everybody goes and you sort of have to pay attention of when you go, it's very tactical, much like hero is and then you've got the shadow run, which has got the, it's it's a dipole mechanic but still, you've got a total and you go based on every 10 or so I think it's I think it was 10 counting on every 10, so if you're 21 you would go on 21, 11 and 1 So th- those were like 3 games that I play. Well, Shadowrun Hero I played the crap out of in the day, but not so much Torps. but it was fun. We did a few one-shots of it, and I still need to find that damn thing again, like I said. And I know I'm freaking rambling, so let's go on to the next game system that I think has a needed initiative system, and that is Savage Worlds. As a game master, I really, really like it, because it uses a deck of playing cards. Every player character and the monsters or significant monsters get a card, and you go from highest to lowest card there are little things where some monsters or player characters may get <clears throat> two cards and take the better, or they if they get a crappy card, they may get a second card, depending on their special abilities. But in general, it's... and it is very easy for the Game Master to keep track of what's going on, because I can see everybody's card around the table. That's why for Initiative, I got the Old People deck, which was like a huge oversized deck that's The cards are almost four by six. I mean, they're that big a playing cards. So they're very easy to see from across the table. Deal them out, pick them up, next round. And the order changes, which changes the tactics and everything else. But it's a very easy and fun system to use. So, Savage Worlds. Another one of those favorites I like. And you could even, because it's so alien to the other, other systems, I think you could adapt this to... OSR or D&D games, D20 based games just with a few house rules and tweaking of okay if your dex is so much You can redraw if you get a five or less If you've got like a 19 dexterity you get two cards and take the highest one. Everybody else gets one card pretty simple But you know, that's not a house rule I use Here's the house rule that I use and I use it for fifth edition old-school games dungeon crawl classics Um, and it's became kind of like the table rule that we've been using. Now I will fully admit I did steal this from a old Spellburn episode. I don't remember who made it up. I don't remember which episode, but I know that's where I got it from. So here's how it works. Individual initiative. Highest one goes first. Then you look to the person to the left and the right of the person who won the initiative. And whoever was the higher... That is the direction you go around the table. That may be the GM, that may not be the GM, but that determines the direction around the table and you just keep going around that way until the encounter's over. Like I said, we've used it for Dungeon Crawl Classics, I'm using it for Swords and Wizardry, we're even using it for 5th edition. It keeps things fluid, random, and orderly. And that, dear friends, is my little rant on initiative. That's the system I use for, well, most games, you know, The similar games like DCC, 5e, also, they're all very similar D20-based games. And, like I said, I love the Savage World system, and I like playing Savage Worlds, which I may in the future. So, what does that mean now? It means I've gone and beaten the heck out of this topic, and I'm going to finally, finally, finally move on to Tomes of Ancient Forbidden Knowledge, and I don't feel like doing the bumper again. But, hey, you know what it means? It means we're still reading from Eldritch Sorcery, and we're going to go over the original Druid Spells. So let me recap. Since it's been a while, um, yeah, this is this section of the show where I read from the original little brown books. I am currently on Supplement Three, Eldritch Wizardry, and as we have determined, original psionics sucked, and there's some combat charts that make absolutely no damn sense in the book. But this is also where the cleric, cleric, sorry, the druid becomes their own class. Remember, they used to be monsters, then they were just neutral clerics, and now they're their own class with their own set of spells. So look, look at these original spells. So, first we want to know that druids use mistletoe. You have to locate and gather your own mistletoe, and such mistletoe must be used whenever spells involving cures lightning and weather are to be cast. Ah, not all spells, notice in that. To be most effective, the mistletoe should not be cut. (laughs) I hate the way some of this is And it should be cut with a golden sickle and caught in a bowl. Preferably made of gold before it strikes the ground. And you have to collect it on Midsummer's Eve. <coughs> and it'll be less effective. Of course, I... Okay, so basically it's GM's of discretion on what less effective means. Alright, so first level. Predict weather. It's pretty much with it. Says. Locate animals. Yeah, similar to magic. spell. Detect snares and traps like a cleric. Detect magic. Yeah, okay. Purify water like a cleric. Fairy fire. Now it's a new spell. Yeah, fairy fire. Okay, you by using this spell the caster limbs the object he desires with a pale glow. I think I, I don't know if limbs is a word. Um, this luminescence causes no damage and shows only the outlines of the object. An area covered is 10 by 10 by square feet. Duration 6 turns. Range 66 inches. So there was no saving throw. There was no specific game benefit other than it outlined a creature. Which is handy in the dim light. Like the draw And uh, if something's invisible. Let's see. That was the first level spell. Second level spells. New spells. Produce flame. You can cause a flame. You know. Gee. Like a lantern. Wow. Okay. Find plants. I'm sorry. Locate plants. Yeah. Speak with animals. Same as a cleric spell. Cure light wounds. Same as a cleric spell. Obscurement. I gotta make this fun, people. Obscurement. When this spell is employed, the dude causes a misty cloud of vapor to form around him. So he farts. Um, Create water. Same as cleric. Heat metal. Another one of those favorites. So what is... what, What was the original heat metal like? Let's look at this. Okay, each level of the druid, approximately 200 gold pieces in weight, because that's what it used to do weight by. I'm I'm not going to look up what the conversion is, but it's a lot. Flesh in contact with the metal heated by the spell silver burns and is accordingly damaged. What is the damage? And fires as its damage. Okay. Metal stays in searing temperatures for two turns. The first of which will blister a hand and make it unusable for one day. No damage, just makes your hand unusable. Or causes one to two points of damage. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, except the head, which will take one point of damage and cause the person to become dizzy. The second of which will cause a hand still in contact with the metal to be severely burned and unusable for one to three weeks. causing an additional two to three points of damage. Okay, um, additional damage if it's in the head. Okay, could become unconscious. Two day turns, range inch three inches. So in all, in all, the great heat metal spell really wasn't originally a direct damage spell. It was more of a long-term screw you up spell, or possibly if you're dumb enough, knock you out from heat exhaustion spell. Next, warp wood. Really good for getting past doors, but you cause straight wood to warp. It'll screw up arrows. Pyrotechnics, same as well. Protection from fire. Call lightning. Here's another favorite of druids. That third level call lightning. This was their fireball. This was their lightning bolt. But they needed to use it outside and it depended on the weather. Any sort of storm, including a tornado, which I think it would be interesting if the druid was standing outside in a tornado going, I'm going to cast call lightning and the rest of the party going, we're getting the F out of here. Um, it does 8d6 damage plus the level of the druid. Eight damage plus level of the druid, so I take that as at least fifteen. So like thirteen d6 damage. Usable outdoors only, and one bolt per ten minutes. So you hit them hard. It's it's definitely a siege spell, because fights usually don't last that long. <clears throat> okay, range is thirty-six inches. Note: lightning comes down in a perpendicular path, and it can strike objects in the sky as well as those on the ground. Yay. Cure disease, hold animal, yay. Plant growth, eh. Water breathing, eh. Neutralize poison, eh. Produce flare, fire, which I guess is better than produce flame. Um, I guess it is, yeah, because you make a bonfire basically. Protection from lightning, which is handy. Um, speak with plants. What's it say? Feed me, Seymour. Plant door, which is another of those weird spells where you just teleport between plants. Um, insect plague, it's same as a cleric. Control temperature, 10 foot radius. You can change it by plus or minus 50 degrees. So what it does will depend on the way the DM thinks it does. If you're serious, summon animals, same as the conjure animals. Hallucinatory forests. You make any creature other than another druid or a magical forest creature or an ant to absolutely believe it is actually there and act accordingly. It can be dispelled by a dispel magic or a reverse of the druid spell which brought it into being. It's a three inch square per times the level of the druid, remember it's like outside, so it's like thirty yards times the square root of twelve whatever um yeah, it's weird math uh, let's see fifth level wallfire control winds yeah past plant, and it's not because he ate a lot of roughage, you know a lot of these are like anti plant shell, which is good even if you're attacked by plant monsters but where 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 is the uh Turn wood, which is interesting, which is a fall of force of tricks against wood. So there it is. Originally, this was. And they got reincarnation at seventh level, as opposed to the low level spell it is now, which is always a fun spell. Let's see. Creeping Doom, which is a summon a horde of insects. Um, confusion. Transmute metal to wood. That would kind of suck. Under earth, animal, firestorm. So these spells were, you know, they were kind of elemental in nature. A lot of really kind of useless spells. I know there was an old dragon magazine that said, what do you call a low level in a druid? A low level in a druid. <laughs> a low level druid in a dungeon? Yeah, meat. Oh, I just noticed an old typo in here. Yeah, another typo in the Little Brown Books. How about that? Because every place else that says uh, druids are a sub subclass of uh clerics except on the spell table where it says they're magic users but anyway i was saying that how kind of druids at low level sucked okay so your first level wizard can like be really awesome because at first level here's the first level spells for a druid predict weather locate animals detect snares and traps detect magic purify water fairy fire that's it not very useful Second level, you get Cure Light, and Obscurement. Heat Metal. Oh, pretty useful. Produce Flame. Yeah. Not until you get, starting third and fourth level spells do you start getting stuff that's actually worthwhile. So you have crappier armor than a Cleric. You've got some more utility spells than a Cleric, but not really any healing or buffing spells. The old Druid wasn't that hot. But then again, and you notice there was no real wild shape either, I don't think. Hmm. Yeah, right. Well, whatever. <clears throat> anyway i think i have rambled on along we're going on nearly 19 minutes that means next time we're going to do some monsters new monsters in eldritch wizardry because monsters are always interesting the way they were originally written because a lot of times the way they were written did not make sense with the stats and a lot of times the old ones were more dangerous or less dangerous than the current ones because of whatever but anyway i want to thank you for listening i know it's been a weird episode it's been a weird week it's been a weird couple months for everybody but we're going to plug through this. We're going to roll dice. We're going to have fun. We're going to kill monsters. We're going to take their stuff. We will never stop doing that. And we will never stop having fun. And with that, I bid you adieu. And hey, check out the Patreon while it's still around. Patreon.com forward slash they gazebos. Or hey, and Anchor. You can just leave a tip there. I'm working on stuff. Anyway, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Peace out.